Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday, and welcome into the Ball Quest podcast. I'm Eric Kane, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs. And before we get into anything, out of the transfer portal, in the flesh here on YouTube, that is Austin Price. Austin, glad you gave us here at Ball Quest some of your time here today. Well, where did I transfer to, Kane? I mean, you were gone for a week, too, for your honeymoon. Although Hub said you were in the transfer portal and you took your name out last night, so you're back. <laughs> I got, need, needed a better NIL deal, Rob Lewis. Peter he's, Millar wasn't enough. He's tanned, rested, and ready. Lord, <laughs> I wouldn't say tanned, Rob. I would go more, more, you know, you know, burnt. But you know, I mean, like, no, that's that's fair. Complex complexion people, you know, the South uh, Pacific uh, sun hits you a little different. How many videos you get done? Videos as it pertaining to like what? No, recruiting videos. That's why you're gone, right? How many videos you get done? Uh, you know, zero because uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I did field a few phone calls and my wife was decent about that. So, you know, give her credit. At no point did she go, Ugh, "Are we on a vacation or not?" You know. Twenty, you no, know you got the one. Good to have Austin Price back here from the Polynesian Bowl, and of course. Hawaii here on the VolQuest podcast and glad you guys are here with us as well watching on YouTube liking this video and subscribing to the channel as always a uh, big news over the last couple of days Tennessee basketball fifth straight top uh, fifth straight win over a top 10 opponent inside Thompson Bowling Arena uh, takes down Texas in the SEC Big 12 Challenge Rick Barnes gets the better of his former team and Rob Lewis that was a big win for Tennessee in a number of different ways obviously you can go the Olivia Cumwall factor the Scott Ziegler factor or just the fact that it was a really good win, a resume win for a team that's not going to get that chance too often down the stretch here. Yeah, with as down as the SEC is right now, with Alabama, you know, being the only team that really hasn't been a disappointment. That is, you know, other than you play Alabama February 15th, and that's going to be your last crack at a top 10 team unless you catch Alabama again in the tournament or unless, you know, Kentucky or Auburn or somebody gets crazy hot and rattles off 10, 10, 12 wins in a row, which I don't see happening. So that was significant. I mean, you and, and again, it's nobody would have thought that when you have Kentucky and Arkansas ranked, you know, top ten of the preseason. But the way this league has worked out, that ended up being, you know, kind of I think a bigger deal for Tennessee on Saturday than anybody would have thought two months ago. Brent, we were over there watching, uh, you know, that game when we were kind of working junior day. We watched the majority of the first half un uninterrupted. And Olivier Kumwa, you know, was – I mean, it's like he couldn't miss there in the first half. He was a big reason why Tennessee jumped out to the leads it did at points in times in the game. A 27-point effort, eight rebound. He's not going to do that every single game for Tennessee. But if you can find some type of consistency there, I think Tennessee can reach a new level with that post presence from Olivier. Well, and but Rob's said it best on the on the Rocky Top rebound. I mean, he, the guy's a senior at this point. I mean, it is 
I'm with Rob. I don't know that there's a quote light bulb moment that that was a suddenly the switch is flipped and and he's going to be, you know, the king of consistency. Now you'll see, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. You hope that he is, but um, yeah, when Tennessee gets post play like that, it, it changes it changes the dynamics and the outlook of Tennessee a lot. Um, and we'll see. I mean, you know, the the thing about this team is they're. Rob, I think that the best thing about them is they're rooted in their defense because offense is going to come and go. I mean, even in the even in the tournament, it's hard to have six great offensive you know nights in the tournament to get yourself to the finish line. Um, I'm not saying Tennessee's going to the Final Four. I'm not ready to go there yet. But uh, to have a chance, you've got to be able to play consistent defense. And as and as great as the Cumwa story was, Tennessee was as good in the first half against Texas defensively as they've. They've been all year uh, in the first half. And, and I think that's the biggest thing about this basketball team as the calendar page turns tomorrow to, to February. I, I I said this on the nation Sunday night, and, and I agree with what Rob's saying here. York, I don't know who you are. Like you had those first two games of the, of the in the month of January, he didn't miss a shot, right? Then he goes into a couple game lull where he was just not very good at all. Then he comes back with, you know, 27 the other night. I think for Tennessee, they can't afford – to have the combination of Kumwa inside and Vescovy outside both have bad nights. When that happens, that's when they have those Colorado performances, you know, or the or the Kentucky performance. I, I think you, you've got to have both the at least one of those guys on their game. If one of them is on, the other one can afford to be off because some other guys will step up. To me, it's those two combinations. Yeah, there are other players you can look at, like Josiah Jordan James or Zakai Ziegler that, you know, are probably going to be a lot more consistent than those two. But to me, the one that takes them over the top offensively, inside is Kumwa, outside is Vescovy. And if Tennessee can at least have one of the two hitting on a given night, they're going to still be pretty good. If they have them both off, that's when they have those just awful nights. Yeah, I would agree. Because, I mean, at least from an offensive perspective, you know, in the front court, I mean, you know, if, if it's not Olivier, you know, Uro's you know, had a game, of course, but you're not, you're not going to see that too – too far between. Um, of course, Julian Phillips has had his moments as a freshman. And then, you know, some of those other players, you know, Jonas Adu and Toby Walker, they're not really an offensive presence whatsoever right now. So if you're not getting it from Olivier, you you best be getting it from Besky yeah, or know, somebody on the outside. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree a little bit here. I, I mean, and, and, and Rob can jump in if he want to. I, I mean, I think obviously – you know, they need Vescovy to play really well. But this is the same team. And I know Georgia's not as good as Texas, Rob. But it's the same Tennessee team that scored 60 points without anybody in double figures against Georgia just four nights earlier. Um, I, I think the thing they have to do is their defense has to show up and travel and, and as it has all year. And they've got to rebound the basketball. If they're going to do that, then, then I think that's that's what they're going to do. I, I don't. I mean, they can't go over with, with with Santiago, but I don't think it's got to be that, you know, Santiago's got to have 20 or 25 if Kumwa doesn't show, or Kumwa's got to have, you know, 20-plus if, if Vescovy doesn't have a great night. I think they – Rob, I think they have enough weapons that, that they don't have to have somebody just go off for them to beat a high-quality team. Maybe I'm wrong, but to me it doesn't feel like that's where this team is right now. Rob, sorry to jump in front of you, but is it fair that with the way Zakai is playing right now, that might not be true, but a month ago maybe it was true? Yeah, I think with the way Zakai is playing, that takes a lot of pressure off Santiago uh, to, to you know to, to hunt his own offense. And, and, and I think you can get by with him having an off night. I, I think you essentially have you know five double-digit scores. You know, guys that can go out there and get you double digits, as long as two or three of them show up. 
and you play the kind of defense that Hubbard's talking about, it's going to get you over the hump most nights. Get, at least it'll get you over the hump against the Georgias and the, you know, the old misses of the world. But to, you know, to beat Kentucky, to beat Arkansas, to beat Alabama, I think you're going to have to do something offensively. You look at the box score from Tennessee against Texas, and you know Barnes played 10, 10 guys as he normally does, but the only one that got extensive, you know, double-digit minutes off the bench was Tyree Key, Rob. But again, only shot it three times. Was over two from three-point range, finished with one point. Hit a really strong showing his first game from the bench with that. I think it was seven or eight rebounds and ten points, and near a double-double. Um, Tyree Key. Again, kind of another guy that's been pretty inconsistent so far this season, but now adapting to a new role. Kind of what do you see from him moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just kind of what we've seen the past couple of games, I think for whatever reason he's having a hard time finding his offense, um, not as aggressive as I know Coach Barnes would like to see him. I, I vividly remember him turning down one, you know, three the other day, and it pretty early pretty early in the clock, but still, I mean, the, the kind that the, the, the coaching staff is imploring guys to take. And – you know, he's shooting a pretty good percentage um, from three. It's not like he's ice cold, but, you know, for whatever reason, it just it just has not clicked for him yet. And it's been, you know, I know a month ago, I, I felt like it was on the verge of happening. And I'm not, he's not been bad. I mean, you mentioned he, he was really good on the glass the other night. He, he's been a very solid defender, way better than I would have anticipated, but also thought that he would come in and hit a bunch of threes and, you know, be a guy that, that could give you some scoring pop some nights, and that just hasn't been the case lately. And I, I don't know what the answer for that is. He's still a better option than Justin Powell would have been. I actually caught a little Justin Powell hooping it up for the Washington State Cougars the other night against Arizona. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's fine out there. I just think he was just a bad fit here. For, for how Rick coaches, um, I, I just don't I just don't think he ever kind of had any confidence, you know. No, and he, he, he just had a hard time fitting in. Speaking of confidence, a lot of times the point guards at Tennessee or whoever's coached by Rick Barnes don't have a lot of confidence. It was a guy, Ziegler, playing with so much confidence right now. I'm not saying he's the best point guard Rick Barnes has ever coached. That'd be a tall task. But is he playing as well during this little spurt here, Rob, Brent, you can jump in. Is he playing as well as any other point guard Rick Barnes has coached at Tennessee? No, I mean, playing, he, he's on another level. He's playing way better than point guard Rick Barnes has coached here. You know, he's probably not playing better than T.J. Ford or – yeah. You know, DJ Augustine or you know, some guys like that in the past, but I, I don't think it's close for anybody that that Rick has had here. That I mean, that list is pretty much what Jordan Bone and Kennedy Chandler, and you know, Kennedy was, you know, had he stayed, who knows what we might be seeing from Kennedy. But the ways the guys playing right now is is just off the charts. Yeah, and, and it and it's in part because of his mentality and his ability to handle. I mean, he got fired in the Colorado game, you know. I mean, he, he got he got sent to the bench in the Colorado game, and Robbie didn't he, he didn't flinch by it. I mean, like he handled it, and he handles it himself. It, it's not a it's not his team of people that are this that the other. It's you know he can take the hard coaching from Rick Barnes and, and seems to thrive seems to thrive with it. And I think that's part of the reason why he's doing really well. And I think that's why part of the reason Rick Barnes has always loves the Kai Ziegler is just the mental toughness that he plays with. I, I, Cause I think he gets rode by his mom, you know, from the stands just as hard as he does coach Barnes. I mean, the kid just, I mean, when you grow up in Brooklyn and you're five foot nothing and, you know, I think he just, you're, he's hardened to, to, to the hard coaching. I mean, I think it, you know, it just makes him stronger. It's what he likes. It's what he prefers. It's what he's used to. You know, a lot of kids melt down in that instance, but this kid, 
And luckily for Tennessee, they've got him for, you know, a couple more years, you know, is, is really, really, really good um, when, when he has the heat on him from Coach Barnes. Got another week of Tennessee ranked inside the top ten, well, top five, mind you. And, of course, Ken Palm has Tennessee as his number one team. You've got the net rankings where Tennessee's at number two. Tennessee's got quite a resume now, quad win, quad one wins now up to four and one on the season. And this was posed in the uh, the Rocky Top Rewind the other night. And, uh, you know, Rob kind of gave his two cents. But Brent and Austin, I mean, you look at the rest of the way for Tennessee. Of course, you got Florida and Auburn this week. Florida on the road coming back for Auburn. Got Vanderbilt next week, Alabama, that monster showdown on the 15th, of course. Then you go to Lexington, so that's going to be a pretty tough two-game swing a Wednesday to Saturday as well, so that makes it even tougher. You had Arkansas at the end of the year, and then Auburn again. Kind of, I mean, how many losses? And I know it depends on the matchups and everything, and every game is different, but, I mean, there's there's not a lot of losses left on this schedule outside of that two-game swing that'll be challenged. Well, I mean, here's the thing that you learn, though, right? I mean, who, who had Alabama getting beat by 30? at Oklahoma. I mean, it's it, basketball's hard. I mean, yep. and that's why, I mean, that's why you don't see teams go undefeated, Rob. That, that's why, I mean, there are some days where you just, you just don't have it, you know, and, and Alabama didn't score against Oklahoma, but their defense was worse than their offense. And um, that that's, that's why I think fans should appreciate this Tennessee team because their defense has showed up every night, which is harder to do. Uh, they don't let their offensive woes if they have a struggle or a lull they, they don't allow those to affect them on the defensive end uh their defense dictates their offense but i mean yeah you could be favored in a bunch of those rob but that doesn't mean as we've learned as you know that doesn't mean anything in college basketball when you're playing twice a week right no i mean it, especially on the road i mean if you don't show up and you're just a little off i mean it can it can snowball on you in a hurry just like we saw you know with alabama the other day i mean does anybody all of a sudden think Alabama is not one of the best four or five teams in, in the country. I mean, I know, I know I don't, I, I just think they had a horrible day, you know, against a, a desperate Oklahoma team, but to Eric's point, I would say Tennessee be favored in every game the rest of the way, except for maybe at Rupp at Auburn. And um, I kind of would be surprised if Tennessee loses again at home. Austin Saturday night after Tennessee took care of Texas, John Rothstein of CBS sports, he tweeted, Given the landscape of college basketball, this is Rick Barnes's best chance to get to a Final Four at Tennessee. Vols don't have a star, but have more than enough to get to Houston. Um, you can't predict a Final Four. I mean, Tennessee's never been to a Final Four. That's not the expectation. But anyway, you can't. I mean, you can't predict it if you're Duke, Kentucky, you know, any of those blue buds. Uh, however, I do agree with them so much by saying Tennessee doesn't have a star, but they've got a lot of solid players. And you know, with all those guys hitting at the same time, this is a pretty dangerous team. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and, and that's to, to Hubs' point from earlier about, you know, the defense traveling. You know, I mean, it, when's it not traveled for this group? I mean, it really has traveled every every game. It just boils down to can they make enough shots when they have those off nights to overcome, um, you know, the, the bad offense. And, you know, uh, they are a, a real threat to make it to the Final Four. But we all know that it boils down to kind of, you know, how this thing gets seeded out, you know, upsets. I mean, you know, Duke gets upset by, I forget who it was, it Davidson, whoever it was, in, in Raleigh that year. And Tennessee ends up getting to go all the way to the Mercer. Sweet 16 with Conzo. Oh, it was Mercer. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Mercer. Uh, getting to go with, you know, all the way to the Sweet 16 with Conzo, going from, you know, one of the first four in to, to the Sweet 16. You know, it, it's all about matchups. It's all about upsets. It's all about, you know, kind of your path. And so, 
you know, who knows what that looks like when, you know, we get to mid-March. But, you know, this team, you know, has a certain it factor to it and a certain toughness to it. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is it's, it's it, they're not mentally weak. They may not make it to Houston, but it will be not be because they melted down, I don't believe. I think it'll just be because they went cold uh, on, on a bad night uh, and lost a 55-53 type game or 60-58 to 58 type game. Ultimately, I think that, you know, it just boils down to, you know, can they make shots? If they do, I think this team really is a Final Four team, if not better than that. Rob, Rob let me ask you this. I mean, you've seen this team play through 20-plus games now. What, what When you talk about matchups and everything, what type of team do you envision giving Tennessee the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge? What's the hardest matchup for Tennessee when, when you look at them from a, you know, from, from a – like a player personnel or a, or a schematic standpoint, when you look at this team, what's kind of the kryptonite that, that this team has to battle through against somebody? I don't, I, I probably wouldn't call it kryptonite, but just like really, you know, plus plus size, like, like Arkansas or I mean, I mean Arizona throughout them, you know, with, with a couple of, I mean, two bigs that can really play, not, you know, one big that's pretty good and one big that's just out there because he's seven one and athletic, um, you know, I think what Kentucky did to Tennessee on the glass was kind of an outlier, but I, I do think that at, that's what would worry me the most. Is super, you know, they're going to have to – whoever, you know, beats Tennessee is going to have to be good at guard. But, I mean, I think they're going to have to be really, really big and, and really get after Tennessee on the glass. Because I think if Tennessee goes two bigs, if they're playing Adu or, or Plagic together, no thank you. I, I don't I don't enjoy that at all. They're by far their best when Josiah is at the four. And I think if, if somebody has enough size to where they, you know, make make that uncomfortable for Tennessee to play with that lineup, then I think that's Tennessee's best chance to really struggle. What about what about Adu and someone else not named Plopsic? I, I like Adu at the five with Jonas at the four. Um, yeah. Fine. I, I like that lineup just fine. I mean, you can't really call that small ball because Jonas is so big, but you, but you really – you know, are, I mean, you're playing one out or, you know, one in four out pretty much, but uh, I'm totally fine with, with Adu getting a, a lot of those minutes, but not on nights when Olivier's going 12 or 15 from the field. Yeah, no doubt. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No doubt about it. Tennessee's at Florida on Wednesday. We'll turn around and come back home to take on Auburn on Saturday. That is the schedule for this week. And uh, next Saturday, there will not be a junior day on campus. The two junior days for January have come and gone. Austin Price, uh, this past weekend, not as many guys came in who once said they were coming in, but still a nice you know, crop was on campus. And the headliner was 
a four-star defensive ed or edge rusher Cam Franklin um, wanted to come in to to feel like he was a priority. He got in late on Saturday. He, in a couple hours, felt like he was that priority. He finished up his visit on Sunday morning. That's a guy that Tennessee wanted to get in good position with and I think did a good job this weekend. Yeah, um, and that's one that Rodney Garner has targeted for well over a year. You know, Rodney's got, you know, some ties over there in the, you know, North Mississippi area where, you know, where Cam plays. You know, those two are, are fairly tight. That one will be more of a thrill a minute, though. Um, you know, I mean, like, it's not like it's going to be some lay down for Tennessee or lay down for Ole Miss. I mean, I think that you're going to have everybody involved and it's going to be, you know, a back and forth thing. But I'd be shocked if Tennessee isn't one of his five official visits. Um, you know, there there's some people around, you know, him that, you know, have some orange, you know, ties. And, and you know, I think Tennessee will be a, a factor for him long term. And, you know, I think this weekend was big. Talked to Chad Simmons. He talked to us leaving junior day, told you know, both the same thing about, you know, feeling like he's a priority here, you know. And this was the first visit his mom's ever been on. You know, he's been on several visits, but it's not been with her. This was a visit that she came on. It's the first time she's been out, you know, seeing a college campus. And I'd say you'll see her take more visits, but Tennessee was the first. And uh, I think she liked everything that she saw about Tennessee. I think they enjoyed the basketball game. The good news is they got here for the basketball game. Um, and then we're able to stay in the midday early afternoon on Sunday. But uh, I would expect Tennessee to be, you know, a factor there long term. And then, you know, flipping – just staying with defensive linemen, I think Tennessee's going to be a real factor with Bryce Young. Bryant Young's son, um, I think it's Tennessee Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame is his dad's alma mater, you know, former San Francisco 49er. But I don't think that, that that Bryant and his wife are pushing, like, their kids go to Notre Dame or whatever. Like, you know, he's got a sister that goes to USC. He had a sister, I think, that went to Virginia Tech maybe. Um, you know, like, there are, you know, there's not like a, like, hey, you've got to go where I played. And, and honestly, Hubbard, if you look at the last, what, three, four years, you see less legacies following their dad than you did 10 years ago. I'd still say it's over 50%, but I felt like a decade ago, it was like 90, 95% of the time they followed wherever their dad went. Now well, it's more like 60, 65, 70% of the time. Agree? Yeah, and, and I think part of that, Austin, is, is there's so much – it's so different than when their parents played. And, and, and look, I, I mean, I'm not saying that, wow, there's a different coach there. Of course there's a different coach there, right? I mean, it's 20-plus it's, it's years. But but the, the feeling the feelings of the schools are very different, and I think that you know that there's that, you know that they may live in different states. I don't think there's the pressure to to play at your your parents' alma mater because that's what you're supposed to do, like, like there was you know maybe years ago. I, I just you know it it just doesn't feel that way. And I mean, I, I go back to the, and it circles around social media from time to time, you know, Emmett Smith, when his son committed to Stanford, you know, he was at a press conference and they asked him about it. And he was like, look, man, my, my son is supposed to go wherever he wants to go. And, and I think that that's the world we live in now. I just don't think there's the, I don't think parents put the pressure on their kids to go to their alma mater. And I don't think the parents feel the pressure to send their kid to their alma mater like they did years ago. Well, you know, I, I talked to Dominic Rayola out at the Polynesian Bowl because, you know, Dylan will be in this game a year from now. And, you know, obviously there's a, you know, a lot of pressure for him to go to Nebraska because that's where Dominic played. And, you know, clearly they are, you know, 
Nebraska is a factor for them, especially since he's opened things back up and decommitted from Ohio State. But, I mean, Georgia, USC, I mean, like, it, it, there are a lot of big-time schools interested in, in Rayola. And, you know, I think that, you know, you know, Dom's not going to push his kid to Nebraska. If Dylan does it organically, then Dominic will be thrilled. But, like, I, I think ultimately, you know, he's going to pick where he wants to go. And I think you're right. I think that you're seeing more and more of that. Again, I'd still say it's over 50% of the time that, it, you know, the legacies go where their dad went. But it is not near the percentage it was several years ago. Also, a, a question we get asked all the time, um, you know, really in, in each cycle, uh, you know, 23 at the end of it, but 24 asking, looking ahead, running back recruiting. It feels like Tennessee's been in with yeah. some. I know last year's class wasn't that strong, uh, but didn't land a, a big one. And then there were, you know, three or four that said they were going to be here, but only one showed up. But the one that showed up was, was a big one. And, yeah, the one that showed up is the one that's at the top yeah, of the yeah. Jordan Marshall. Jordan Marshall. And, you know, Matt and I both talked to him afterwards and, uh, he couldn't say enough good things about his time here at Tennessee. Is that, is that the one that Tennessee wanted, and, and what type of position should Tennessee be in now moving forward? Well, they would love to have Daniel Hill, who's not too far from Tuscaloosa. Alabama's a factor for him, Mississippi kid. They'd love to, you know, you know, get some of these other guys in here. Uh, kid at Arkansas that's very much, uh, you know, on Jerry Max radar. Um, but number one, in my opinion, um, just based off of his interest level, his communication level, um, the fact he's visited for camps and games and stuff, you know, is Jordan Marshall. And and so for him to make it back in, I thought that was big for Tennessee. You know, he, he's going to be a who's who, probably northern schools. But, I mean, this is a kid that, you know, Tennessee really likes a lot. And he likes Tennessee. You know, I, I don't think that this is some lay down for Ohio State if they push. Um you know, obviously they'll be tough. They'll be really tough. Um, you know, if, if they go hard on Jordan Marshall, but like I, again, I don't think it's a laydown. And you know, his interest level in Tennessee has been there for near, going on near a year. And you know, I still think that right now, like he's the most realistic option at the tailback spot for Tennessee. I was surprised though to to hear him say you know, that he's still learning that this is not a pass happy offense, that, that they, that they actually run the ball in this offense. Austin, g given the number of times he's been here, the games he's seen that the conversations he's had, and, and maybe that was just kind of a one-off quote in, in conversation there, but I, I was a little surprised, you know, for a guy who has as much knowledge of Tennessee as he does, that, that you still, that he was still talking about, Tennessee trying to get over the stigma of being a pass happy offense and not a balanced offense. Yeah. And and I, I think that the just kids, you know, they see kind of what they want to see at games. They get distracted. Um, Good point. You know, and and so maybe they don't they're not paying as close of attention as as they should be or, or looking at the final stat sheet going, and Tennessee ran the ball forty four times in that game. Right. It's a know, good point. I mean, I, they they know, see the big splash play, right? Guys yeah, wide open. Well, wow, it, they throw three touchdown passes. They throw it all the time. It's you know it's why in the in the post on Sunday night, you know that Navy got forty four, and I would give him grief about his Harrison Bailey takes for for years. But I said that's probably the best take you've ever had, given the take about Willie Martinez. You know, and I said you're looking at big picture instead of just like okay, they gave up you know fourteen third down conversions, but they threw it forty four times compared to other schools that see, you know, 29 passes. I mean, like, the, the secondary has to hold up so much more because Tennessee gets ahead and other teams are forced to throw. So, like, I, again, I think, you know, everybody kind of gets caught in looking at what's right here. 
but you got to be able to look out wide with the peripherals. And, and I think that's, that's kind of, you know, where Jordan Marshall and, and a lot of recruits are, they just kind of see what's directly in front of them and they don't see, they don't ever look side to side and realize, Oh, actually that's not near as you know, drastic as I thought. And so, you know, again, I think running back somewhere, Tennessee's got a hit on in this class, whether it's Jordan Marshall, um, you know, or Daniel Hill or whoever, you know, it's, it's a very important, um, you know, position in this 2024 class. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've said this before and I'm not, I'm not picking on that quote from Jordan Marshall whatsoever. Cause you're a recruit, you're being recruited by, you know, 15, 20 schools in the country. I mean, you're not, you're not dialed into the stat sheet and everything like we are, but I mean, second year in a row, Tennessee's averaged over 200 yards rushing a game. Tennessee led the nation in, in rushing touchdowns this season. So any running back, I mean, this is, this is a very appealing offense if you're a running back. Plus, Josh Hopple himself has continued to be quoted over the two years he's been here saying, we can't accomplish what we want to if we don't start with the run game. Uh, so I think that should speak to, to any running back out there, not just Jordan Marshall. Yeah, um, Raylan Russell was the running back from Arkansas, by the way. Two more guys I want to ask you about before I ask a big picture question. Uh, you know, something Brett and I discussed on the, on the Rocky Top Rewind a little bit with Matt. Um, and if you, I think the question was actually posed, like if, if there's one thing Hypel can improve on, or if there's one, if there's one negative thing about Hypel so far, what is, and this really isn't a negative thing whatsoever, but we did mention it's a line of scrimmage league. I mean, it might be an offensive league, but you still got to be good in the trenches. Offensive line recruiting is going to be massive. Um, it always will be. And two massive guys, two big old guys who are on campus on Saturday, Ethan Calloway and Kevin Haywood. Uh, what's Tennessee's big picture look like on the offensive line for this class of 2024 with those two guys who are on campus? Well, you know, with Cam coming off the board and coming to South Carolina early, now I wouldn't call that one dead over, right? I mean, like he's committed committed early to the home state school, but, you know, South Carolina's got a lot of momentum right now, but that can all go away if they start slow this fall. Um, and then you can see kids open things back up. Um, you know, Daniel Calhoun's a massive mountain of a kid. was just here. Again, that's, you know, that's going to be hard. Georgia, Alabama, everybody's going to be involved for him. Ethan Callaway and Kevin Haywood, you know, are two big kids. Um, you know, I think you're going to continue to see them rise in, in recruiting over the next several months. And, and you know, if Tennessee could somehow be a factor for those two kids, and I think they will be, um, that would be big because you, you've got to add multiple um, tackles again in this class. I just don't think – I don't think what you did in 23 – was enough. I think offensively on the offensive line, you've got to be better. And I'm not saying Tennessee's bringing in bad linemen, but what I'm saying is Tennessee's bringing in linemen that need a year or two. You also need a couple of guys that can come in and push come to shove over, and then go out there and, and play for you. You, you know, need more tackles. The offensive line is more of a developmental position, but like I, I for my liking, they've got to be in the weeds with some more big time guys at the offensive line position. Yeah, I mean I think it starts with they've got to be involved in more tackle bodies. There that, you that, go. That, that that look, you get them and you develop them if they don't work they slide inside. What you don't want to do is you don't want to live year to year in a transfer portal looking for a tackle Agreed. body. That, that's what you've got. That's where they've got to get to. I don't know and look, I think Darnell Wright has got a chance to go down and really help himself this week, right? Um, at the at the, the senior bowl, and he got thrown into the lineup, but he wasn't ready to play. Okay, and, and I know there's a lot of these guys that are saying, "Well, he's ready as a freshman." Very few are. I mean, there's some guys who can survive. Don't get me wrong; we've seen guys survive. I mean, Darnell survived. 
Um, lots of guys have survived th- through the years, Jawan James and guys, but were they really ready to play? Tennessee's got to get to the point where they're bringing in some guys. And this is hard to do with the transfer portal because those guys don't have patience, right? But you got to get some guys in here that you can give a little play in time. Maybe you can get them into four games and some blowouts and you can develop and really get them ready to play in year two. Because I think if you're sitting here going, all right, we need to be in the weeds to get an immediate impact player. Man, that, that's that's hard because they're not going to be in your home state, right? I mean, like look at look at Calhoun. Calhoun's probably the guy who has a chance to play early because he's a mountain of a man. He likes Tennessee. He, he's in Georgia, and Georgia's right. recruiting him, and Alabama's recruiting him. Cam Pringle is sitting here. He's in South Carolina. I mean, you're not going to have two or three in the state of Tennessee on any kind of regular basis where you say – Tennessee's got a great chance to get an impact guy at offensive tackle. That's why they've got to get more tackle bodies and see what they can develop. I would take, I would try to take four tackle bodies a year in a class and, and knowing that you're probably going to lose two of them. Right. But, but I would continue to recruit and I would even take some chances on some tackle bodies to hope that you hit on some guys in development. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Um, You know, I I think when you, you look at, you know, kind of where they are, you know, on the offensive line, I think they're fine guard to guard. It's just going to boil down to, you know, especially next fall, can any of those younger guys take a step? Can any can, can Glenn Ellerby develop those guys? You know, again, can he be the Rick Barnes of the offense for Josh Heifel? Because Rick Barnes, if you look at Josiah James, <laughs> his shot when he first got here and his shot now. Kevin Punter shot when he first got here. His shot now. You've got to see some of these kids like a Brian Grant or whoever, you know, take a big leap, you know, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what we've got to see, you know, out of out of the offensive line to make me feel like offensively they can handle out on the edges at tackle um, going into 23. Because right now you're relying on John Campbell, new in your program. You don't know what he's about. I mean, he may be awesome, good as gold, but, I mean, you just don't know. I mean, he just got here. I mean, like, you know, how does he mesh with everybody? You know, I mean, you're relying on J.J. Crawford and Gerald Mency, two guys that, you know, either couldn't stay healthy or couldn't stay on the field last year, and they kind of brother-in-lawed it and, you know, got through the season. But, I mean, like, you know, you really need a younger per, younger kid at tackle to, to really take a step this spring where you exit spring going, okay, we could work with that this fall. You know, who is that guy? I don't know. I agree with Hubs, uh, and, and again, you you took some guys, and I'm with you. I don't think Tennessee took bad offensive linemen, but like Bison Lang, Masai Reddick, Mo Clipper, those guys were never, ever, ever going to play year one. Um, and again, those are more interior guys. Look at Andre Carrick. He was a tackle. He's played tackle, but he can slide in and play guard. It's not impossible. You guys have been covering this a lot longer than I have, but it's it's more difficult to to, to recruit a guard and try to make him a tackle, whereas get a tackle body who can play guard. Um, you just Tennessee does not have enough tackles right now, and you've seen you've seen them attack the transfer portal for off the tackles the past two seasons. So I, that's got to be a massive priority in this class. It's got to be, in my opinion. Tennessee was involved in some big fish at tackle loss in this past year, but you know yeah. of the four they liked, only got one. That's just not enough. Well, um, I, and, and, and Hubs is going to agree with me. Um, I am. But, uh, yes, they've got to. <laughs> Their board's got to be bigger. Oh, absolutely. On, on, at, at all positions. Like, if you look back at wide receiver a year ago, I just don't think their board was big enough. I mean, like, they kept swinging trying to get 
you know, Noah Rogers to campus deep into the fall. Like he never came. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they didn't really do a whole lot with the kid from Mississippi. They, they, they kind of flirted with him, went back and forth. You know, obviously they, 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 they tried and tried and tried and tried on Carnell Tate, but I mean, like, you know, and they, they got a great find in Nathan Laycock. Um, but I mean, like to me, they, they've got to have a board of 15 to 20 instead of a board of five or six. And that's kind of what it felt like last year. It's like, okay, well, if you don't get this guy, who are you turning to? And I don't, there was never really an answer. Like, it, you know, it can't always be the portal. Like, you know, and, and that's the thing is getting, you know, they, they've just, you know, they, they, to me, at all positions, I'm just using wide receivers as an example on last year, but I mean, like at all positions, they, their, their board has to be bigger, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, I think you could throw running back into that equation. I mean, you could throw a lot of positions into that equation. I agree with you 100%. I think it was the best thing Philip Fulmer did, okay, in terms of recruiting. When you talk about why why was why did they recruit so well? Obviously, they won, and I get all that. But I mean, they were sitting there, and, and they would visit, you know, they would visit eight defensive ends trying to get one. I mean, they, Philip Fulmer used fifty almost fifty six visits every year. Like he visited all now. I know it's different now because kids come in early and lots of times now we're seeing official visits or victory laps for guys. And and I, I know everything has totally changed. Don't get me wrong. But the point is their board was deep at all positions. If we needed, if they needed two defensive ends, they were going to be recruiting 15 defensive ends to try to get two. Right now you had your pecking order. You didn't just take number 15 as soon as he wanted to commit but you were recruiting that deep Austin to have to, to get someone that was there. So you weren't just starting to recruit someone in the last few weeks when your board dried up. And I think that's, I think that's something that Tennessee can address and, and will address moving forward. I think they have to have deeper boards. You look at the class right now, Tennessee's got three commits for the class of 2024. There'll be a junior day in March. And of course, uh, prospects on campus to watch spring practice when that, whenever that starts, you look at this compared to last year's class, Tennessee, if my memory serves me correct, came into January with two commits, picked up a commit from Aiden bustle at the end of the month, uh, saying all this, asking Austin kind of what's the path here for Tennessee in terms of what's next for the class of 2024. Um, I feel like the, the the movement is is not much right now in terms of a commit that'll be later in the spring, but kind of kind of where where does the traction lie for this twenty twenty four class? Well, I think you know you get those questions on the board because you know they look at South Carolina's landing all these kids right now. Yeah. They're, they're taking a bunch early, and we'll see if, if that if they're able to stick, if they're able to hold, um, you know, and, and we'll see what happens with some of those kids. You know, Tennessee took you know Maisie O Bennett early, and then you know he opened reopen things back up. And I mean, he'll say South Carolina is the leader, but I mean, he's you know visiting Alabama and Miami and all these places. Um, you know, I think man, I'm not going to close the door on February. I think there's a outside shot that they could get one in February, but I think March and April are going to be their months. Um, you know, in my opinion. And so I think that you're going to see a, a few come off the board in March and April. Yeah, I think it's about who they get back on campus in March. And I'm not discrediting January, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying January. I think you need Franklin back on campus sure. in March. Yeah, I mean, and, and you got to I mean, you, you got to get the running back back. I mean, you got to get people back on campus. And, again, I'm not discrediting January because I think junior days are important. Anytime you can get a guy on campus, you know, that, that's where it's at. That's what you need to do. But, but I think March, you know, is such a bigger month, March and April. And, and the reason is – 
unless a kid's a baseball player, he, he can visit, right? I mean, you can miss a track practice. Right now, if you're a basketball player, your coach is not wanting you to go gallivanting off on a bunch of unofficial visits right now because mm-hmm. you got tournament time coming up. Same thing in wrestling and other things. So it makes it a little more challenging um, to, to, to get some guys on campus in, in January. I think Tennessee's got to get more guys on campus in January if they're going to have two junior days. But I, I think March becomes – will continue to evolve into a bigger recruiting month or a more important recruiting month than January because kids get to see things. Going to basketball games are great, all right? I mean, that, that's that's all good and well. These kids want to see practice. They want to be in the meetings. They want to see what it's really like to be a part of the program. That's why I think March visits are are becoming more and more important than the January unofficial visits are for junior days. Because I don't, Austin, maybe I'm wrong, but don't you think kids are less interested in the show? You know, less interested in the event type deal. More interested in in seeing kind of the ins and outs of it. I, I, I think some of them are, but I would call it the Instagram recruits are about the show and, and there are some of them. And then there are some that are very smart and methodical. And those are the ones you're talking about that don't really care about the photo shoots. Don't care, really care about basketball games. They want to go in there and they want to have an hour sitting there in a skull session with their position coach. And they want to go in a meeting room in spring practice. And they want to go on the practice field and see how the coach coaches his room in spring practice. Those are the kids you're talking about. And I do think there are more and more of those kids. Yes. But there are still that pocket of, I call the Instagram recruits where they, you know, they, they need to be able to throw out their, their photo shoot and pictures and, and, and put their Instagram stories out there, you know, that they're at, you know, at practice and that type of thing. We all have those friends we call Instagram friends. They go swimming with turtles. They post it on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and me. I, I want to ask this. I know we're out of time, but I want to ask this question because this is just something that I, I've kind of wondered about. And I want to ask both of you this question because um, you both follow recruiting and, and know everything going on. W- what do you make of the stories out there that Nick Saban saying at a coach's clinic that he sent two guys packing and told them basically he wasn't going to take them because he wasn't going to give them what they wanted NIL wise. Does that, I mean, it's Nick Saban, so it probably doesn't negatively affect him in recruiting but but if but a, does, is a recruit out there scratching their head a little bit about about Alabama from an NIL standpoint? And and, and does that does does that narrative being out there affect Nick Saban in Alabama in any way, shape, or form in recruiting? I, I think it affects them with a small percentage of kids. Okay, I, I, think, I, I think I think that there's still a portion of kids that know, hey, when we get to Alabama, we're still going to get some money, right? Like this isn't like. You know, it's not like he's not giving money. Like, you know, um, I think ultimately it's a small percentage of kids that are so NIL driven that that's all they talk about. That's all they want to talk about. I mean, there are kids that show up here or other schools that the moment they get here, they're like, okay, I want to talk to the collective. Okay, hey, I want to talk about NIL. Well, again, I had a coach tell me this, you know, a couple of years ago, and he stands to be true. You don't have to come for all the right reasons, but you got to come for some of the right reasons. And if you're so NIL driven, then you're not, you're probably not coming for any of the right reasons. Again, you still got to want to go to Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia or middle Tennessee state or wherever. Like it can't be money and only money. Those kids are a nightmare. And, and, and ultimately 
you know, I think the biggest thing is if you're a college coach, you're trying to weed those guys out of your program because they don't help the room at all. Look, what you're talking about, too, um, if you go on, I think one of the players he's referencing asked uh, asked to get his girlfriend into into medical school as well or some, yeah. something along those lines, something about a girlfriend getting into, you know, postgraduate school. And he was like, no, I can't. Like, like, no, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. So I think a lot of that was. Yeah, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That that practice has been happening in recruiting long before yeah. I know everything yeah. about the yeah. transfer portal. There, there, there are sisters. That's the one that you can do. Yeah, I mean, that that one's the easy one to do, to get somebody into law school or, or, or to it get It might have been law school. I mean, it was major. either law or medical school, and I'm just sitting here like. That one's that How one's easier that? to do than finding seven figures for somebody. <laughs> that that well, practice has been happening for Austin for a long time in recruiting. Well, hundred percent. I mean, like again, you know, there are more than one ways to skin a cat, and 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 for years that was always, you know, getting the girlfriend admitted to school or in 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 you know into this in, in this instance it's into you know, um, you know, law school. Um, you know, that type of stuff's always been going on. And so, I mean, you know, not, not shocking. I mean, like, look, Nick's kind of drew his line in the sand on some of this. I get it. It, it, it. It's the game's broken in certain ways, but it is the game right now that everybody has to play. And so until they change the rules, everybody's kind of got to swim in, in, in those waters, so to speak. But hey, you have to do it within the parameters of what you want as a football program. It's why I tweeted that out the other night when, when that got out there, I said, and this is why fans should realize that every situation is different. You don't know what these kids are asking for. So when their player leaves your program or you don't get the transfer you want, don't go, oh, it's ridiculous, Spire. It's ridiculous, Georgia Collective. It's ridiculous, whoever collective. Like, it's not as simple as that. It's never as simple as that. Like, you know, it, it's not just write the check. You know, at the end of the day, very few schools can just write any check they want. If any school can do that, actually. I mean, like, I mean, like a lot of this is, you know, people, people think that, that all these schools have all this money and stuff. And I just think that it's coming up, you know, it's not the case. And I think that's why you've seen a bunch of kids leave certain schools after just one year. To answer your question, Brent, at least from my opinion, I agree with Austin, though. I don't think it's going to maybe a small percentage of players. But at the end of the day, too, if you go to a school or go to, you know, play for a coach uh, for reasons outside the minimum and likeness, I mean, for Nick Saban, go look. You got wins and you get drafted into the National Football League to where yeah. you make some real well, money. I, mean, that I, can... I don't I don't think suddenly they're going to have, you know, a bad recruiting class. I was just you – know, that's, that's the first coach who has said it to that degree. Yeah. You know that has said, "Hey, I I didn't take two guys because of money." And the first and time he, we've seen that happen. And he can do that because of his, he because has of his success. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because he's got cachet, and he just had the number one recruiting class in the country. Yeah, yeah, Snake Saban. Uh, all right, Tennessee basketball is going to be at Florida on Wednesday. Going to be back home against Auburn on Saturday. Tennessee football recruiting, tons of coverage up on the website right now, and continue throughout the rest of the week over at VolQuest.com. Appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here today on the VolQuest podcast. Brent Hubs, Austin Price, Rob Lewis, I am Eric Kane. We'll be back on Thursday for the VolQuest Mailbag podcast. Until then, mahalo and have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.
You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.